Lord this morning, would you please turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're in a study of the book of 1 Peter. It is a book for today, teaching the church how to sustain themselves in a hostile environment. And uh, I'd say that applies today. I'm going to bring you into a a lesson today that I don't know if you're going to like or not, but I really don't care. So uh, Jesus does, though, and uh, we've got to deal with this. And uh, so it's going to be a little bit um, radical, and uh, it's going to offend our American point of view. So let's take a look at it. We're going to start, let me read the text in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're starting at verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to those you have been called, because Christ for also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness." By His wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Our text this morning and the theme is found in 1 Peter 2.18 and it says this, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. This verse is mistranslated. The proper rendering is not servants, it's slaves. The proper word is slaves be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only to good masters, gentle masters, but also to unjust masters. Now that offends us because in our history as a nation, we had a problem with slavery, very unjust and cruel, wasn't it? It's the number one issue among atheists, uh, besides the issue of evil, is that of how the Bible failed to correct slavery. The Bible, in fact, Old and New Testament, seems to approve of slavery. So as uh, many bloggers today and atheists put out there, if the New Testament got it wrong on slavery, they probably didn't get it right on much else. I mean, it's pretty obvious that slavery is wrong. Why doesn't the Bible address slavery? And why would this dare be in the Bible, that slaves are to be subject to their masters. You can sure bet that down south this was used a lot of times being preached to the slaves on the plantations, wasn't it? So maybe we should change it from slaves to servants or maybe employers. Employers be good to your bosses. That's more palatable, isn't it? But that's not what the Scripture says, so we've got to wrestle with this thing, and we've got to find out what it means. First of all, let me help you understand that Peter in this chapter, and as well Paul in the book of Ephesians and Corinthians, they were not writing a treatise on slavery. 
That was not what they were writing about. What they were writing about was Christians and their behavior in a fallen world. They weren't correcting the fallen world. They were speaking to Christians and how to act and have a conduct. That conduct would be a little leaven that was going to change the world. The Spirit of God in you and how you live it out is going to be the impetus and the power that will transform societies. But it's got to start in you. And that's what they're talking about. And their reference, the entire point of reference, is Jesus Christ, who Himself became a slave to rightness and to the Father to obey and do all that He commanded and even suffering injustice at the cruelty of other masters. That's our example. Hmm. But what was slavery like at this time? When they're writing about this issue of slavery, what are they saying? William Barclay describes this time period as this, and he says that in Rome, there were about 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire at that time. Slavery was the common form of employment or work. And so this was the entire system established for work. What had happened in Rome is they became so posh and, and so basically lazy that most Romans didn't do any work. They had slaves to do all the labor, including doctors, teachers, lawyers, These people were indentured slaves to do the work. They were employed to do most labors. Many masters were cruel. Many people consider slaves as a tool, easily dispensable. If you break a hammer, get rid of it. If a slave breaks its leg, get rid of it. So consider this. The gospel comes along. It's being preached to all nations, all people, all nationalities, and all castes of society, and guess who gets saved? The people who are oppressed, the people who have no hope in society. And so guess what? How many slaves do you think started going to church? A lot. Because this gospel spoke of a freedom beyond the chains and the bonds that they may be in physically. There's a freedom for the soul to be accepted by the living God and cleansed of all unrighteousness. That's attractive to a lower caste of people, to the base things. Who do you think they're writing to when they say that God chooses the base things to confound the wise? Us. That's us. So there were many slaves. So when Paul is speaking to the church and he's saying, slaves, obey your masters, he's not talking about just a few in the back of the back of the bus. He's not talking about a few here and there. He's talking to the most of his congregation who were slaves. And he's saying, obey your masters. Why didn't he say, revolt? Kill. Turn away. Change the laws. We need something done in our society. Because that would have utterly collapsed and caused great calamity in society. It would have utterly destroyed what they know. Barclay goes on to say, Paul, Peter as well, may well have accepted the institution of slavery because it was almost impossible to imagine society without it. If Christianity had in fact given the slaves any encouragement to revolt or leave their masters... 
Nothing but tragedy could have followed. Any such revolt would have brought savage crushing. Slaves who took their freedom would have been mercilessly punished, and Christianity would itself have been branded as a revolutionary and subversive movement. Given the Christian faith, liberation would come, but the time was not ripe, and to have encouraged slaves for it and to seize it would have done infinitely more harm than good. There are some things which cannot be achieved suddenly and for which the world must wait until the leaven works. What Christianity did was not change the issue of slavery socially, it changed men's hearts. In doing that, it changed and brought an end to what we know as slavery, at least the forms of slavery we think of now. May I remind you, slavery is not dead. We might have laws against it and so forth, but right now in the world, slavery is larger in numbers than any time in human history. There is a great amount of slavery and force. Let's take a look at slavery. I could have spent a lot of time on a discussion concerning slavery. Roman slavery was a real problem. Gaius, a Roman lawyer in his institutes, says this, We may note that it is universally accepted that the master possesses the power of life and death over a slave. So in Roman slavery, there was cruelty, there was punishment. If they wanted to, they could kill you. If you drop the glass, there's records of a, a, a handmaiden that drops a glass and the, the wife of the house has her executed because she liked that goblet. I mean, it was just vicious. It was cruel. Another Roman writer says, whatever a master does to a slave, undeservedly, in anger, willingly or unwillingly, in forgetfulness, or even after careful thought, knowingly or unknowingly, is judgment, justice, and law. Now, Hebrew slavery was different. There was slavery in the Old Testament. Again, because this was the form by which people labored. I'm not giving... Uh, uh, credence to it, but I'm just telling you the case. Now, slavery was not prohibited by the law of God. The Israelites and even the priests were allowed to possess slaves from other nations. Even an Israelite could sell one of his own family members into slavery in case they were in a place where they were forced by poverty to make money and get food. By law, a Hebrew slave was treated better than the slaves taken from the heathen, But you may have a Hebrew slave or you may have a heathen slave according to the law. But in Hebrew society, slaves were given Sabbath rest. A master was to be punished for cruelty or injury to his slave if he was unjust. Now that's that's shifting gears. According to Job, a slave could even file a grievance against his master. And runaway slaves were not to be returned, but were to be given sanctuary. So there's a little bit difference between Hebrew slavery and Roman slavery. But then comes Christianity. Why didn't they change this? Why didn't they say no more to slavery? 
Well, you have to remember, Christianity was just a small sect among a forceful Roman Empire. and If they would have simply started revolts, that would have been squashed immediately. They already were being persecuted and killed for being Christians. Now, what the Bible begins to say is this, speaking directly to slavery. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That is a liberating text. That is an amazing text to say that there are not gender issues of women being less than men. There is not uh, 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 issues of nationality, Jews better than Greeks. And there is not an issue of free or slave. We are all one in the eyes of God. That's radical for that day and age. And that is the seedbed that is going to change how we treat one another. And as Christianity grows in men's hearts, that's what changes laws and societies. You have to change the heart. Law can't change a heart. And that's what God was after. Paul says this, the slave becomes the Lord's free man and the master becomes the Lord's slave. It actually, Christianity begins to change and reverse the roles. And in the book of Philemon, when Paul is interceding for Onesimus, he says he has now become, this runaway slave has now become your brother. So why didn't he say, so then set him free. He said, take him back as your slave. He'll, own you, and he'll owe you and pay you back what he owes. But he is now your brother. It's a change of heart. Believe me, the way that Philemon treated Onesimus was not the way he used to. Because there was a heart change. He now, Paul says, recognized him as a fellow heir in Christ Jesus. So he's not only changing the hearts of the slaves, he's changing the hearts of the masters. And this is how God changes the world. One heart at a time. It might be too slow for us in our society today, but it makes its lasting way and penetrates into the hearts and minds of people. Most people who are opposed to slavery are because of Christian ideals. They didn't come up with this on their own atheist self. They understood it through the Lord. Slave and masters are now called brothers, transforming slavery from the inside at the heart. Now, this is all again based on the fact that our Lord was a slave. A slave to the Father to do His bidding and to do His will. Now, I present all of this because, again, our text is found in 1 Peter that says, Slaves, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. He's giving you the worst case scenario. He's saying, slaves, in the worst case scenario, if your master is really unjust, still submit Hold your position and honor Christ in whatever you do. And it will change that man's heart, hopefully. So that's pretty fascinating stuff, I would say. How about you? But there's a problem in what we're reading today. We have failed translations. I believe truly one of the reasons that Paul 
Peter, James, Jude, John, continue to speak to slaves as slaves is because coming to Christ puts you into slavery. It was very easily understood that to follow Christ means to become a slave to Christ. But we in the English-speaking world don't like the word slave. We're offended by it. And so we don't use it. All our modern translations for the word doulos, there is one word for slave. In the Greek world, the word for slave was doulos. It was understood that means slave. Many Greek words for servant. Never does doulos mean servant. It always means slave. If you wanted to choose the Greek word for servant, you could pick for four different words for servant. But yet, in our modern English translations, every time the word doulos shows up, guess what word we use? Servant. More palatable. More palatable. But can I tell you, it's wrong. Even in Peter, when we said, servants, obey your masters. It's slaves. It's doulos. Consider these two scriptures. Look at Mark, I'm sorry, Matthew 25, 21. You know this one. Well done, thou good and faithful. No. We've been quoting it wrong. If you want to quote it according to the proper translation, well done, thou good and faithful slave. It's doulos. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your what? Master. When you come to the Lord Jesus, I know we call Him friend. I know we call Him Lord. I know we call Him Master. But if you don't understand you're the slave and He's the Master, you're not getting the full concept of what this means to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We think we elect Him. I've made Him my pal. How about you? Matthew 10, 44. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your what? Yeah. Yeah, another mistranslation. Dulos. You didn't know you signed up for this. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your slave. Whoever wishes to be first among you, you shall be slave of all. Hey, isn't that interesting? They, they translated the same word dulos as slave in the second part, but not in the first. I don't get it. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. He gave his life as a ransom. You were bought with a price. What do you buy? Servants or slaves? You hire servants. And most of the church thinks they're hired because they're going to get payment. You were never hired by the Lord. You were bought with something more precious than silver and gold. You were bought with a price. You are no longer your own. You were bought and ransomed as a slave you now belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's got to change the way we act, brothers and sisters. But Americans, we like the democratic process. We're going to decide and vote whether we want to follow that command of Jesus or not. We might delay it a little bit because it's not convenient. What does that have to do with slavery? Nothing. Nothing. Consider this in Revelation all the way looking into the future. It says this, Revelation 22, verses 3 and 4, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His 
Servants will worship Him. Doulos, wrong word. His slaves will worship Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. Now that's an interesting translation. One, and, and the 144,000 in the book of Revelation, they have a mark, don't they? They have a mark on their forehead so everyone knows that they belong to the living God. Well, when you're talking about slaves, and if you're going to put this in the context of using the proper words and reading this, you're talking about slaves, and the Lamb will be there, and His slaves will worship Him, and they will have a mark on their forehead. Slaves got that. When they read that, they understood, because in slavery, if you ran away, you were branded with an F on your head, fugitive. Many times, slaves were branded, and they had markings on their foreheads. So this is a translation properly that helps you understand who you belong to. Can I tell you that we were branded by the Holy Spirit, His seal put upon us. And we are slaves to righteousness, Paul says. We read that and we don't get it. We think that's an analogy. It's not. Don't be slaves to the flesh, but be slaves to righteousness. We belong as slaves to the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been branded. And our master himself was the master slave. Do you think Jesus was branded and has a mark on his forehead? Absolutely. In all obedience to his master and to his father, he went to the cross and they branded him and stuck a crown of thorns upon his head. If you're going to see the scars in his hands, I believe you're going to see the scars in his head. Branded as a slave of love, a slave to righteousness, a slave to obedience to the father. God is looking for a people who understand slavery. And who will follow the Lord. I told you you wouldn't like me. <laughs> Even babies are crying. It's tough. Dulos. Dulos. Slave. Listen to each one of these. Paul, an apostle, a servant of the Lord. No. Paul, an apostle, a slave of Jesus Christ. James starts his letter the same way. James, a slave and brother to the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? Huh? You're calling your brother? You're his slave? Jude, a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ and brother to James. Peter, in 2 Peter. Peter, a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. None of them said, I'm Apostle Paul. He said, this is my calling. I'm a slave. Peter said, I am a slave. James said, I'm a slave. Jude said, I'm a slave. Peter tells us in our text, for to this you have been called. What? Slavery. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. An example of what? Obedience so that you might follow in His steps. Obedience to being a slave to God's righteousness and love. You see, the problem's not slavery. The problem is who's your master. A wicked master makes slavery horrible, but a good master makes slavery wonderful. Why? There are five things 
and key points attached to slavery. Number one, exclusive ownership. The master owns the slave. The slave doesn't belong to another. Maybe you've heard this before. You were bought with a price. You are no longer your own. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You don't even own your body anymore. Who owns your body, people? Right. Right? Some of you are not even moving your lips. You're not going to respond to that. I'm an American. I'm free. Jesus set me free. From what? The law of sin and death. The power of sin and death. From Satan and his temptations and his constant ability to keep you down. But He delivered you unto His Son, Jesus Christ. That is whom you belong to. You've been bought with a price. So, exclusive ownership. The Lord Jesus Christ possesses you. He sealed you with His Spirit. And you are marked as one of His. That's something to rejoice about. And you are now called the Lord's free man, but you are also called the Lord's slave. Secondly, constant availability and constant obedience. Maybe you've heard this one. A slave cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve mammon and God. Serve money, you serve yourself. What is the enemy of our salvation? Self. Flesh. Obedience. Constant availability. When the Master calls to do His bidding, do you say, it's late. I'm tired. Like your kids. Right? You tell your kids to do things. I don't want to. I don't want to. Have Him do it. I did it last time. We would like our children to be slaves. Maybe. They are. But we teach them not to be. Constant availability. Now again, this is offending some of your senses, but when Jesus bids you to come or tells you to do something, it's non-negotiable, folks. Your salvation came at a price. It came at the cost of Jesus Christ. He bought you and paid you. Now, how many of you want to be under the covering of Jesus Christ? Seriously, how many of you want to be bought by that blood? We plead the blood. We sing about the blood. Yay for the blood. Save me from the devil. Hallelujah for the blood. Yeah, that blood purchased you. You were bought. You're no longer your own. You belong to the Lord. You're His slave. You must do what He says. Thirdly, subject to one alien will. In other words, not your will, but the will of another. Could we hear through the echo of time one who was subject to the will of another when in the garden he cried out, if there be any other way, yet not my will, but thy will be done. That is the voice of an obedient slave. One who is a slave to the will of his master, even unto death. We are all subject to the Lord's will. Do you know it? Do you know it? 
Jesus speaks of a parable of a slave who did all that he was supposed to do. You don't get a reward for what you're supposed to do. That's what you're supposed to do. Why should I reward you for what you do? But yet God will reward us. That's the good master. Amen? Last of all, complete dependence. Now this is where slavery is good. How many of you know that John tells us that apart from Christ we can do what? Nothing. Nothing of any value. But in Christ, through Christ, I can what? Do all things. Why? I am utterly dependent on Christ Jesus. And the good master to the slave provides every tool he needs to get the job done. Provides his food, provides his clothing, provides his shelter, and provides all that he needs to have a good life. That's a good master to his slave. Now there were times in Israel, in the year of Jubilee, when slaves were set free. And many times a slave would be set free from a good master. And they had nowhere to go. They had no job, no influence, nothing else. They had it good with a good master. And so when they were released, many slaves would come to the doorpost of their master's house. And at the doorpost, they would take their earlobe and put it against the house and take a nail and drive it through their ear into the house. And it meant, I have freely now become your bond slave. That's where you would see where they would wear an earring in their ear where the nail hole used to be. And they would become a bond slave willingly to serve their master because it was the best place to be. Peter says, Slaves, be subject to your masters with all respect. Could I tell you that if we would serve Jesus with all respect as a slave, the master, we will have a change in this world. We will change things. But what we've done is we've brought our American rights and our independence and our democracy into the kingdom of God and it has no place there. But the kingdom of God has a place in society and in democracy and in our voting and in what we do in society. If we would take the kingdom and begin to manifest it where we live, it would change society as we saw in American history. The key here, brothers and sisters, is not the issue of slavery. The key issue is the good master. Who is your master this morning? Will you obey Him with your full heart, your service, and will you utterly depend on Him for all of your needs? Self-sufficiency has no place as a slave. So I'm going to radically ask you this morning. This is going to be a separating point. Some of you, we've asked before, do you love Jesus? Will you become Jesus? We've made the appeal. Come to Jesus. It's good for you. Your life will be great. You'll get everything you need. 
You can pray and have bigger houses, bigger cars, better jobs. You'll have prosperity and blessing. He lives to bless you. All He wants to do is make your life happy. You matter most. You count the, ma- the best in this life. This is your best day. When in reality the Gospel says you are weak, you are broken, you are crushed by the power of sin and the condemnation of judgment to eternal damnation. Will you leave the slavery of sin and self under the oppression of Satan? And will you become a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd, the Good Master, who will provide all of your needs as you obey all of His commands. And so I ask you today, Christians, who will stand and say, I am a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ? If that's you, stand. Make that decision even now. I am a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Consider reading your Bible now as a slave to the Master. And look to the suffering slave. That's Isaiah 58, 53 through 58. That's Isaiah. It's not the suffering servant. It's the suffering slave. That's what Jesus became. He is now our Master and He understands what it is to be a slave to give you the strength to obey the good Master. Let's bow our heads.